Hello and welcome back to Pastoral Parsha. I'm Hody Nemus, a third-year rabbinical student at YCT Rabbinical School. And I'm Michelle Friedman, Chair of Pastoral Counseling at YCT. In each episode of this podcast, we explore psychological insights gleaned from the Torah portion of the week. Today, we're talking about the last Parsha of the book of Horatius, Genesis, Vayechi. And our theme is, what keeps families together and why do they fall apart? So we're going to be looking more closely at what happens to family when the patriarch, or in some cases the matriarch, is no longer present, no longer alive to hold together all the complex components of subfamilies. Rashid is coming to a close in this, in this Parsha, as is the story of Joseph and of the Avot, the patriarchs. Rashid starts with the biggest thing possible, the creation of the universe. But a scholar that I spoke to at Yale, he said that it ends with the smallest thing, which is a man in a box. It goes yeah. from the largest to, to the smallest, to the, the unit of, of human. And it's the end of, um, of this family's story as a family and the transition from family to nation is about to begin. Um, Jacob, before he dies, he starts to, he, he makes some burial preparations. He sets up his, uh, his spiritual legacy and he dispenses some blessings to his grandchildren, to his sons, uh, preparing them for when he is no longer around, when that link to the Abrahamic past is gone. Um, and after he dies, something curious happens. We think the story is, is ha- again, is happily ever after. We're done. And then, When they saw that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers said, What if Joseph still bears a grudge against us? and pays us back for all the wrong that we did him. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before his death, your father left this instruction. Forgive, I urge you, the offense and guilt of your brothers who treated you so harshly. Therefore, please forgive the offense of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph was in tears as they spoke to him. What a powerful and poignant moment. Do you think that they that uh, Yaakov really said that to the brothers? Well, I think that's the great question. I, I, I don't. I think that they're they're telling a white lie to try to get on Joseph's good side. Because um, they're really scared of him. Because they're scared that he still harbors the anger from what they did to him back in the day. Right. So I think that just raises some odd or some interesting questions about what what did they really think had happened in their sort of their their reunion? Did they all along feel that essentially? Joseph was just putting on a nice show of having forgiven them. Right. And certainly, whatever they felt, they know that when their father dies, the father of all 12 of them is gone, that that power that bound them together is dissolved. Anything could happen. It's like nuclear. Exactly. So maybe maybe all the rules have been reset. Even if they thought Yosef forgave them, maybe they're in a new era now. Any, anything could happen without that link to, uh, to the past. And, you know, there's, there's a Midrashim that, that pick up on this and say that maybe the reason they were so frightened was because 
things changed. Yosef stopped inviting them over to the palace for, for dinner, you know, because now maybe the, the Mepharshim, the commentator, suggest maybe it was because he was afraid of the Egyptians, you know, sort of showing anti-Semitism, thinking that uh, he was fearing Yeah, but you're family. suggesting that maybe he isn't so keen on being nice to them anymore. Maybe he's indicating to them that their power status is shifting downward. That could be. And maybe he says, you know, I will tolerate your presence, but, um, but without, uh, without the, the father that bound us, I don't have to treat you as, you know, my, my best friends and family anymore. So that, perhaps out of that comes this, this heartfelt plea, you know, that basically they say, we will be your, your slaves if you ask it, but just don't kill us. I think the other question that you mentioned is a powerful one whether Jacob actually said this. Did they invent it or not? I thought that they, they invented it. Um, and actually, the, the Gemara agrees. Uh, in uh, in Mesechet Yevamot, this, this spot is used as a source by Rabbi, Rabbi Lazar, who says basically that mutar lo adam l'shanot b'davar ha-shalom. That it is, it is, uh, it's okay to lie if it's for the sake of, of peace, and uh, so perhaps they really feel like, look, we're, yes, we're lying. Our father never said this, but it's going to save our lives and it's going to create peace. So the Talmud, picking up obviously from the Torah, really understands the power of what happens as a family's authority is kind of dissolving. Mm. And we see this in so many different kinds of pastoral scenarios. And actually, I want to refer to some TV scenarios, <laughs> <laughs> because I think that the popularity of TV shows, the ones that work, obviously tap into feelings that are people all over feel. And I've recently finished watching uh, a series called Succession, where the, the whole story is based on a powerful patriarch who control has developed a vast empire and now he's in his older years and he's got three sons and one daughter and the whole show is based on who is going to inherit the power and the father is brilliantly playing off he understands the dynamics of his children and he's always kind of shifting it around who's going to get it who's going to be the favorite status who's going to get a certain kind of inside track and the it keeps moving and moving and it's actually kind of heartbreaking and sort of pathetic how everything gets whittled down to who is going to be in favored succession status. So there's a strong character at the top of this family you're describing succession, but uh, but clearly in many families there's this strong patriarch or matriarch, and it's true of our story in, in Breshi. So what, is it unhealthy to have such a, a strong, you know, character writing atop a family? Well, it's a kind of an, it's a really interesting question because we do put such a premium on families that stay together. Mm -hmm. And something to think about is what does it mean for a family to stay together? A lot of times people put a premium yes. on being able, families celebrating together. The most important thing is that you stay together. How many right. parents and grandparents have said Right, that. that you be loyal to your family, that these are the most important people. And a lot of emphasis is put on celebrating events together, spending Pesach together, going on vacation together. And I think that this these values do require, enacting these values do require a certain amount of suppression of individual will. If one person likes to go, I don't know, 
uh, to a sunny place for vacation, another person likes to go to a cold place for vacation, somebody's got to give. And oftentimes it will be the patriarch or matriarch who makes the decision. And having a strong person at the top can help absorb some of the individual friction of the subfamilies. Uh, interesting. Can absorb it because they... The priority of getting together and being together and people developing bonds and relationships and playing games and talking about books mm -hmm. and just hanging together, you know, whether it's in a bungalow colony in the summertime or it's in somebody's house for a Purim Suda or maybe a family reunion in a, uh, a field uh, <laughs> someplace is, is a really worthwhile thing. And perhaps... Um as families naturally grow, it's just impractical to keep coming together for, for uh, you know, holidays or, or special events because there's just so many people. They're not all going to fit into a basement for a, a Seder. Right. Um, so now after a patriarch matriarch dies, how do you prevent the backstabbing that can happen or the, the, the acrimony that can sometimes accompany that? I think the success of that is directly correlated with how well these relationships have been created mm -hmm. during the life of the patriarch or the matriarch. I think if those, if those top people have successfully modeled values of consideration and compromise in a healthy way, the family can get together in a celebratory, festive, even sorrowful time in a way that is mutually supportive. And it feels like there is a reaffirmation of the core values of that family. Yes. But if there's been a suppression and a, and a really kind of powerful way of negativity or of contradiction or different styles, that there's been intolerance of differences among people, that's going to grow as the power of the matriarch or patriarch diminishes. diminishes, right. And assuming as well that there are horizontal relationships among children and grandchildren sure. as opposed to just vertical relationships where we are, we relate only to the... Uh, the ancestor. Right. I mean, you used to talk before, and it was so moving about how Boratius starts with the creation of the universe, and then it goes to the creation of one person, then two people, then a family, then a tribe, and then, of course, as you said, a nation. And all along the way in Boratius, in this book that we've just finished talking about in Pastoral Parsha, there are problems, there are conflicts, but the family has stayed together because there's been an imperfect but real reckoning with individual issues in the service of a larger goal of ethical monotheism, of real principles and values. You talk about the importance of the patriarch or matriarch modeling uh, healthy relationships and modeling compromise, forgiveness, not burying differences. And I think for one of the first times in Brasheet, at, right here at the end, we we see an example of that when Yaakov, who is is the the oldest uh, member of the family, the powerful authority of the family, gives a, a bracha, a blessing to his two grandchildren, Ephraim and Benasha, in that poignant scene where Joseph comes to him and he blesses them both at the same time, which is freighted with meaning because the story of Breshit has been the choosing of one son right. over the other. Blessings. Right. One blessing and the other son isn't in the room. The other son is kicked out. The other son is upset. And, uh, and here we see a moment of 
one blessing or really two blessings for, for both of these youths and they, they accept it and they leave in peace and harmony. And I think it's worth noting that there are five generations in that room. There's Yaakov, there's Yosef, there's the grandchildren. And in his blessing, Yaakov calls in V'shem Avotai, Avraham v'Yitzchak. That's right. He says, let the names of my fathers, Avraham and, and Yitzchak, be called and, and be present in my, in my grandchildren. Um, and um, I think one message from that is that it's okay to grow apart. Ephraim and Menashe become separate tribes. They no longer are part of the same nuclear family. And they're children of an Egyptian mother. That's right. They are different from one another, and they're also different from the, uh, the other tribes. But, uh, but they grew apart not out of animosity, but just out of natural familial growth. And I think there's a deep uh, lesson for us there, that it's, it's okay to grow as a family, but it should be done through peace, not through acrimony. So these values live on at the end of Boratius. And the success of perpetuating these values depends on the qualities of the relationships that impart them. So even if there's pain and there's jealousy, there is authenticity and there is integrity. And ultimately, the avos and the imos, the imahot, the patriarchs and the matriarchs are profound and live on powerfully in our hearts and imaginations as teachers, as models, as people who struggled to live these values in the ways that real people do. And their lives are living examples to us. So the goal isn't to stay a closed, small tribe that's always separate, but to live the Torah going forward. And ours is not a religion of ancestor worship. We, no. we accept that our, our ancestors were, were, uh, were flawed and ultimately... Our religion is about the values they imparted and, and the Torah that B'nai Israel ultimately receives in, in the next book. So as we close this podcast for today, we're also ending the podcast overall. And we want to thank our listeners for caring, for listening, for being part of this project. We believe, and we hope this has come through over the last year and a half or so, that pastoral issues are incredibly important and that the more that we can raise them, talk about them as they relate to our own lives, as they relate to the Jewish community, the healthier our relationships will be, the healthier our Jewish communities will be, uh, and ultimately, hopefully, we'll build you know more loving and caring societies. And we hope that you've enjoyed finding pastoral and psychological insights in the Torah and that uh, as you read the Parsha each week, it's not only okay, but it's a good idea to look for uh, the, the pastoral and psychological dimensions underlying uh, each of the characters and the mitzvot that are given. I think that it is not a coincidence that Reishi, our Parsha, and our podcast ends with reconciliation between parents, children, and grandchildren. And the last verse of the last Navi, the last prophet of Israel, Malachi says that Eliyahu at the end of days will come, and he will reconcile the hearts of parents to the hearts of children, and the hearts of children to the hearts of parents. And that only when familial relationships have been healed can history truly be at an end. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. <laughs>